Hello, and welcome to the Annan Film Scoop. I'm Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phil McAleer. And this is an unusual Annan Film Scoop. Yes, um, you probably we're exa- notice you can't see us. And we're exhausted, so thank God you can't see us. So yes, we are in Washington, uh, cold Washington, D.C. Less the, cold now. Less cold. The weather is supposed to get positively balmy by the end of the week. But we are in Washington, D.C. for the Mark Stein defamation case. Uh, he's been sued by Penn State and our new University of Pennsylvania scientist, uh, climate scientist and activist Michael Mann. Mann is alleging he defamed him uh, in a 2012 National Review blog post uh, condemning both Mann's hockey stick and the Penn State investigation into scientific malfeasance by Mr. Michael Mann. So we just thought, look, we're doing this podcast where we're reenacting all the best bits of the court case. And we have these actors, just to understand how this is being done. So we're recording here in Washington, D.C. We have actors who are then reenacting the most dramatic moments of every day on the trial uh, over in Los Angeles, of course, Hollywood. Lots of lots of actors there. So that happens. And then the, uh, the, the podcast itself has been edited somewhere else altogether. So this is a, a massive, a massive team effort. But the actors are fabulous. And we've heard from many of you uh, who have been listening to the podcast that they've really just loved it and what do we think we were going to do today offer you a special thing this week well we just need one thing we do need to say is people if you want to listen to the podcast it's climatechangeontrial.com go to climatechangeontrial.com climatechangeontrial.com or go to to Apple anywhere as you say anywhere you get podcasts so on Spotify if you have Spotify on your phone but also if you have an Android phone or if you have an Apple phone just go to the podcast app and type in Climate Change on Trial, and you'll find it. And for those of people who are older than younger people, uh, if you're having any difficulties with this, honestly, you just need to find a 12-year-old. Get the 12-year-old and give them a few dollars and say, please help me to get this podcast going because you will enjoy it. And you can subscribe to it. It's absolutely free. Um, so don't forget to donate to the unreported story society.com. But look, enough of the plugs there, outrageous plugs. People have been saying, we reenacted a lot, a lot, or the most significant parts. But I mean, how can you edit Mark Stein? It was a really tough to edit. His opening speech to the jury. It was a tour de force. It was one of the greatest speeches I've heard in in many's a year. Uh, it really sums up the case. So we thought we'll just make this podcast the Mark Stein show. Uh, so this is an actor reenacting the Mark Stein's opening speech to the jury. With, you should, if only you'd been there to see Michael Mann deflate and deflate and deflate and get smaller and smaller and smaller. Isn't that right, Anne? Yeah, no, it was really fabulous. And uh, we just thought, you know what, let's make a special episode of our podcast and have just this speech, which goes on, a, which, you know, it, it's, it's quite a bit. But I'll tell you one thing, you won't be bored. So enjoy and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye. I apologize for being foreign. And I apologize for being unable to stand up. I'm a Canadian on his last legs. I have difficulty standing, but I have no difficulty standing on the truth. The truth of what I wrote, the truth about what happened at a famous American institution, the truth about this man. To modify a famous line from an American courtroom drama, I think you can handle the truth. In my world, I can write something, Mr. Simberg can write something, and Mr. Mann can write something. And you're free to read all or none and decide what weight to attach to all 
or none. But in Mr. Man's world, there's his take, and everyone else has to be hockey-sticked into submission and silence. I'd be inclined to suggest that's a little un-American, but as I said, I'm a foreigner, so it probably isn't for me to say what is or isn't American. Michael Mann does this all day every day on social media, discriminating against, harassing and bullying anybody who disagrees with him, colleagues, other NAS members, interested members of the public, as you will hear from witnesses. He is one of the most vicious blowhards on Twitter, and tweeting is what he does. So relentlessly, it doesn't appear to leave much room for any science. He doesn't stop for public holidays. So here's how he spent the Martin Luther King Day weekend, tweeting about one of the defence witnesses in this case, my fellow Canadian, my fellow Torontonian Stephen McIntyre. Quote, In the hockey stick and the climate wars, I show how fossil fuel-funded Steve McIntyre played hide the hockey stick. There's a disturbing connection with the bad stats used to support early theories of white supremacy. Unquote. So, according to Michael E. Mann, thinking his hockey stick is wrong makes you a white supremacist. Now Mr. McIntyre, as you will see in the coming days, is a perfectly respectable fellow. He's been published in the same peer-reviewed journals as Mr. Mann, such as geophysical research letters. So, at the very least, Mann is failing in his duty to the National Academy of Sciences to treat a fellow individual in the scientific enterprise, quote, collegially and with respect. So in the crazy world of Michael E. Mann, a highly technical disagreement about Mann's use of principal components analysis is the equivalent of burning a cross on your lawn. This isn't a scientific argument. This is just viciously stupid name-calling. More to the point, this is how man carries on day in, day out, as anyone who follows his Twitter feed knows. If the statements at issue in this trial are defamatory of man, why is man's statement not defamatory of McIntyre? Mr. Man wants a world where no one can criticise him but he can damn anyone he cares to as a white supremacist, a racist, a homophobe, whatever. This is not the behaviour of a scientist, which is why so many real scientists around the world want nothing to do with this vicious thug. He's a classic example of the guy who can dish it out, but can't take it. Well, as you know, Monday was Martin Luther King Day in America, honouring a famous civil rights leader. The Reverend Dr. King once said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He's right. If you tolerate one small exceptional injustice, it's hard to keep it hemmed into its one little corner. In this case, your highly valued football coach sexually assaulting middle school boys in the Penn State showers. The injustice spreads. It breaks out of the little corner that you've turned a blind eye to. The corruption metastasizes like cancer, so that eventually, as at Penn State, the cancer is everywhere. In the showers, in the science lab, at the police department, at the district attorneys. So at this trial, we will talk about corruption, and we will hear evidence of what it did at Penn State and beyond. Let me walk you through the words I am standing by. It's not long, and we'll start at the beginning. Quote, In the wake of Lewis Free's report on Penn State's complicity in serial rape, 
Rand Simberg writes of Unhappy Valley's other scandal. Lewis Free is the former director of the FBI, and after the arrest of Jerry Sandusky and the firing of Penn State's president, he was commissioned by the university's trustees to investigate the culture of corruption that had enabled Sandusky to do what he did year in, year out. The Free Report is a damning indictment of this so-called university. We will introduce it in evidence, and you can see for yourselves. But let me cite just one passage from page 14. Quote, The most saddening finding by the Special Investigative Council is the total and consistent disregard, the total and consistent disregard by the most senior leaders at Penn State for the safety and welfare of Sandusky's child victims. Four of the most powerful people at Pennsylvania State University, starting with President Graham B. Spanier, remember that name, Graham Spanier, failed to protect against a child sexual predator harming children for over a decade. They exposed this child to additional harm by alerting Sandusky, who was the only one who knew the child's identity of what McQuarrie saw in the shower. I'm sure we have some mums and dads in this room. Imagine if that was your child. It's not enough that he's been raped in the Penn State showers. It's not enough that the corrupt authorities are going to do nothing about it. But just to make things worse, they're going to let the rapist know he's been seen raping you. So the rapist knows you're the problem. And he might have to take care of the problem in his own way. Appalling disgusting, shameful, as FBI Director Free recognised. As I said, I stand by every word, especially the ones about, quote, Penn State's complicity in serial rape. The following year, 2009, the so-called Climategate emails were leaked from the University of East Anglia in England by a courageous whistleblower who wanted to expose the shenanigans to put it mildly, around certain aspects of top-level climate science, including the various forms of a so-called hockey stick. So in these years, the Penn State administration is juggling two scandals involving two of the university's biggest stars, a star in the football program, Jerry Sandusky, and a star in the science department, Michael E. Mann. On July 12th, FBI Director Lewis Free publishes his report on the culture of corruption at Penn State. And three days later, 72 hours later, July 15th, 2012, I write my entirely truthful internet post. Can we put it back up? It's called Football and Hockey because it's about the scandal in the football department and the scandal of the hockey stick in the science department. The plain truth. As the evidence will show, Penn State reacted to both scandals in Unhappy Valley in the same way, by prioritising brand protection, the protection of its stars over truth and decency. Under its corrupt and evil president, this filthy, rotten institution had a standard operating procedure. Whatever the scandal, cover it up. My learned friend here told you that the plaintiff was grossly offended to be compared to Jerry Sandusky. 
That's not actually what Mr. Simberg did. He compared Penn State's treatment of Sandusky to Penn State's treatment of man. As Councillor Williams well knows, we're comparing the investigation of man with the investigation of Sandusky, because both investigations were controlled by the same chap, a corrupt convicted criminal called Graham Spadia. Uh, Mayan versus Stein and Simberg will continue. Bye. Thank you.